This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Podcast Royal. It is episode 10. We have made it to the double digits, Jessica. I'm so excited. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you to our listeners for making this possible. And did you have a good weekend, Jessica? So you were in a wedding. You were a bridesmaid in a wedding. I saw the photos on Instagram. You looked fantastic. Well, thank you. Yes, I had a great weekend. Um, January has been a crazy busy month for me. Lots of traveling and um, and going to events. So um, I think that was the last thing on my calendar for the next few weeks. So uh, February will be a little bit slower pace and um, I'll just be hanging around town for the next few weeks. I did the same thing this weekend that I've done for the past, I don't know, 47 weekends, which is absolutely <laughs> nothing. Um, I read some books and I watched some Netflix and it's almost one year since this madness started. So I uh, am looking forward to the day when I can have a full calendar again because I don't at all. So I'm glad you had a good weekend. You did look so stunning. So we are going to jump right into the Royal Rundown because we do have a lot of news and some of it is really sad. I was really, really upset to hear today that uh, Captain Sir Thomas More, who raised $45 million for the UK's COVID battle, he would walk laps in his backyard. I also should mention he was 100 years old while he was doing this. He was also knighted by the Queen last July. I'm sure many of our listeners can see that photo in their minds. So I wanted to take a moment to rec recognize his remarkable life because he passed away at 100 years old after in a cruel twist of fate battling COVID. After all that he did for frontline workers fighting COVID, he passed away from complications from COVID. So rest in peace, good sir. Thank you for being the type of person we should all aspire to be. This loss is hitting me really hard for some reason. And he obviously lived a very long and meaningful life, but it's just never easy to say goodbye to the good ones. So I wanted to take a moment and recognize him and his life and the valuable contributions that he made. So in some other COVID-related upsetting news, it was also announced today by Harry that his Invictus Games, which were 
scheduled to take place from May 29th to June 5th in the Netherlands have once again been canceled for the second year in a row. The games will now kick off in the Netherlands, please God, in spring 2022. I am experiencing, as I'm sure everyone is, pandemic fatigue, and I'm hoping that this isn't the sign of things to come with Trooping the Color this year, Philip's 100th birthday, and the unveiling of Diana's statue at Kensington Palace on or around her birthday, which is on July 1st. So William, who serves as the president of the Football Association, so for our US listeners, football is what we refer to in the US as soccer. The Football Association is the governing body of the sport in the UK spoke out, he spoke out forcefully about racist comments against top soccer players, and he issued a statement that says, quote, racist abuse, whether on the pitch, in the stands, or on social media, is despicable, and it must stop now. We all have a responsibility to create an environment where such abuse is not tolerated, and those who choose to spread hate and division are held accountable for their actions. That responsibility extends to the platforms where so much of this activity now takes place. I commend all those players, supporters, clubs, and organizations who continue to call out and condemn this abuse in the strongest terms. And then he signed it off W for William. So I'm gonna be honest with you. I was not aware. I'm not a huge soccer fan. I have gotten into it in the last year because my best guy friend got me into Manchester United, but I'm not into it enough to have seen these comments. Do you know anything about these comments, Jessica, that were made and what they said? Because I don't. Well, um, I saw this update like you and I also was wondering what sparked his response um, because I am not really up in all of the Um, sports news in the UK either. And I did a little Googling and I found a few um, stories on it. And um, his name is drawing a blank right now, but um, there is a soccer player in the UK who um, received some racist comments on, I think it was Instagram um, and, or it might've been Twitter, but I think it was Instagram. Um, Anyway, I think they were removed and he chose to be the bigger person and came out and said he was not going to share the content of what was said because that's really not important and he didn't want to focus on that. So um, we don't really have all the details of what exactly was said, um, but that's the extent of what I heard. Well, I'm really proud of William for speaking out against this because obviously that's completely unacceptable. And I hope in my fantasy land, in my mind, that Harry gave William a pat on the back, not obviously physically, but, you know, virtual pat on the back for standing up for an important issue such as that. So, yeah, I, um, I kind of uh, thought the same thing when I saw this, you know, Prince Harry has been in the news recently, sort of standing out against the um, negativity that comes along with social media. And then for Prince William to step up and make a comment about it, I felt like it sort of united them on, you know, taking the same stance on an issue yeah a common bond that hopefully can bring them closer together maybe in my again back in the fantasy land of my mind maybe William called up Harry and said how should I say this in the most effective way I know this is a passion 
project of yours. So one can dream, but we do have a lot of news about the queen this week, a lot of news about the queen. So I know that reports had surfaced recently. I think this came out of a book that was written by Robert Jobson in 2018 that said basically that her majesty was considering stepping down from the throne when she turned 95, which of course is this April, but fear not, she is not going anywhere. In an article from People, an insider said, quote, neither her physical nor her mental health are waning and that she is, quote, well and, quote, in good fettle. I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? I guess in good stead. Anyway, so the article also says that COVID is possibly, quote, the only slight rest she's ever had in her whole life. And in her twilight years, I'm sure it is quite lovely not to have the pressure of a full schedule of events as she did pre-COVID. Also, I, my mom has said this many times to me, how special it must be that in their twilight years, Philip and the queen are getting so much time together, which they really probably haven't always because of her busy travel schedule and his too before he retired. So sorry, Charles, you're just going to have to keep on waiting year 52 and counting since his investiture as Prince of Wales. So Jessica, did you think even for a moment that the queen would actually step down at age 95? No, I, I didn't. I mean, honestly, if she came out today and said she was stepping down, I don't think I would believe it. Um, I would still be in denial about that. So I'm not surprised that she is not going to step down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she said it herself in that famous video from South Africa that she would dedicate her whole life. And I think she meant that her whole life, however long or short it may be. And so I don't think there is any chance that she is going anywhere until she goes to the other side. So which hopefully is a very, very, very long time from now. So the queen may not be stepping down, but she is hiring and the job is even posted on LinkedIn. Buckingham Palace is looking for a permanent senior employee communications assistant that will work on site 37.5 hours a week for a salary of 27,000 pounds or roughly $37,000, which I think is quite low for working at Buckingham Palace. That's lower than I would expect. So the position is open until February 7th, which this episode will drop on February 3rd. So you've got four days, listeners, if you want to work for the queen. That is a job that I would somewhat consider, except that salary is just not where I need it to be. So yeah, I agree. I was surprised by that for the title of senior communication. Yeah. I would have thought um, that it would pay a little bit more than that, because I imagine your hands are very full in that role. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, that's, it says on it says on site 37.5 hours a week but i imagine that that's more or less a lifestyle type job that you don't like if something happens at four o'clock in the morning you're going to be working you know it's right. not something you can just leave at buckingham palace i almost said leave at the office but buckingham palace sounds much fancier so more queen news according to town and country the queen will reportedly host president joe biden at Buckingham Palace ahead of the G7 summit. And in addition to Her Majesty, Charles, William, and Kate are also expected to be in attendance at Biden's reported visit. So 
the final piece or kind of the final piece of Queen News is my mom, I'm sorry, mom, absolutely could not take it when I mispronounced the word Viscount in a previous episode, I said Viscount. We all make mistakes. <laughs> so thankfully I have a chance to redeem myself today. I didn't know the next time I'd be talking about Viscount, a Viscount in any way, but here we are. So in even more news this week about the queen, it is reported that in fact, she does have a favorite grandson and it may not be who you think. It is reported to be the youngest of the boys, James Viscount, not Viscount Severn, James Viscount Severn, who is the son of Edward and Sophie. And he apparently has the queen's heart and James's sister, Lady Louise is reportedly the queen's favorite grandchild overall, which maybe isn't what I expected. So <laughs> Edward and Sophie must be doing something right out at Bagshot Park, which is where they live. So what do you think about that, Jessica? I don't know. I mean, that's definitely a surprise. I can't imagine she actually has a true favorite. Um, but my only thought there is the two of them are not really old enough to have broken any royal rules or gotten <laughs> in trouble yet. <laughs> so they maybe they made mistakes yet. <laughs> well, and they're also so much younger. So James is 13, and I believe that Louise is 17. And that in their next oldest grandchild would be Eugenie who is 30 so there's quite an Edward there's quite an age gap because of course you know the queen had Charles and Anne then there was a big age gap and then Andrew and Edward and so Charles is 17 years older than Edward so the kids are so much younger so maybe she just I don't know, was more relaxed with it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe she enjoyed them a little bit more in her older years. Maybe so. Maybe so. So this week, I'm interested to hear your take on this, Jessica. This week, a documentary of the family that was banned for more than 50 years resurfaced on YouTube. The film was shot between 1968 and 1969, and it showed the inner workings of the family kind of an inside look at what daily life was like for them. And in it, the documentary says Charles might not become king until after he was 70. Of course, they were right about that. Charles is 73. And it shows the queen making small talk with President Richard Nixon, who was the president at the time. And in more relatable moments, the queen takes Edward, who would have been four or five at the time, to a shop to buy candy and the family watches TV together. It has already been taking, taken down. So Jessica, did you happen to catch the documentary while it was still up? No, and I'm very disappointed that I didn't. It was really weird because it went up and then they, it was taken down and then it went up again and it was taken down. And I have not seen it. So I don't know. There has to be something in there that is controversial. Otherwise, mm -hmm. why would they care? And I mean, obviously they approved for it to be shot. It's not like it's paparazzi footage. I mean, they have footage of them in their living room watching tea or their living room. It's weird to call a room in Buckingham Palace a living room, but they, they have footage of them from in, inside the home. And obviously it was cleared at the time. So I wonder what nuggets are in there that are obviously so controversial that they feel the need to never have had it shown publicly it's been banned for over 50 years so listeners if you were one of the few that
that got the chance to see the video while it was up, send us an email at hello podcast royal at gmail.com. I had to think for a second about what our email was. Um, mm -hmm. If I got it wrong this time, we'll say it at the end of the show like we always do. But and tell us what what was so controversial because I would love to see this, but it's down again. So anyway, last week the family marked Holocaust Remembrance Day, and Kate is just doing great work on Zoom. She spoke to some Holocaust survivors and honestly one of the most touching Zooms I've ever seen her on. She also showed a side of herself that was more relatable than ever this week. There was another Zoom, separate Zoom from the Holocaust Remembrance Day Zoom. She was asked to describe parenting during quarantine in one word. And the way they were doing it was they had all the panelists, there were four or five panelists, had to write down a word that described parenting during quarantine on a piece of paper and then hold it up. And she wrote exhausting. <laughs> and she said that her kids are horrified that she is their new hairdresser. And she also pointed to William as her bedrock of support during COVID, which is a rare public romantic gesture among the couple. I mean, obviously they're deeply in love. They've been married for nearly 10 years and they are a great couple, but they, because of royal protocol, they don't often show affection like that in public. And so it was touching to see her call him out in that way. Also in a semi break from protocol, Kate shot a selfie video to mark the start of Children's Mental Health Week. Royals are really not encouraged to take selfies. That's something that actually Megan said from a couple of years ago. So Kate looked adorably bundled up as she stood outdoors in the one minute clip. And she did this because she serves as the royal patron of place to be. She didn't look like she was wearing any makeup. Um, I'm not sure why she shot it outside. It looked freezing wherever she was. She had a little toboggan on, but it was just so relatable. And maybe she had to go outside because the kids were being crazy inside. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like at their country home, they probably have, you know, multiple rooms that she can escape to. But anyway, she was outside and it's only a minute long. So go check out the clip listeners if you've yeah. not seen it. I um I liked this and I think maybe they're looking for some more creative content instead of always being inside the house. You know, maybe that's why she went outside, but yeah, that's probably true. Um I, I wanna see more of the of Amber Hall. Like I want more inside. <laughs> I mean, I know we haven't seen all of that home. It's huge. So well, we might talk about that home in one of our future royal residences but I mean I, I don't know I don't care where she's taking videos as long as she's taking videos right so I I loved it so speaking of who we leaned on during lockdown Megan pointed to dogs Guy and Pula as a huge source of support for her during COVID and her heartbreaking pregnancy loss last year. Also, I happened to watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Did you see this, Jessica? No. And the $125,000 question, which thankfully the uh, contestant got right, was um, Harry and Meghan's dog Pula is named after the currency of what country that they fell in love in. And of course that answer is Botswana. And so the contestant had to uh, phone a friend and I was like, it's Botswana because she she was leaning towards South Africa that was one of what were the choices South Africa Hungary Botswana and something else and 
um, I was like, it's Botswana, it's Botswana. And thankfully she did get it right. So she got $125,000. So this is the second time this in the past calendar year that I could have won big money for knowing things <laughs> and who wants to be a millionaire. This and the $250,000 question a few weeks ago, if you'll remember was what is the queen's favorite nail polish, which is of course, Essie's ballet slippers. And so obviously I'm, it's a missed opportunity here that I, but I would go on there and it, they'd ask me questions about like science or right. calculus or things <laughs> like that. But anyway, so I am, okay, this, this news story is the most confounding news story of the week for me. I'm really not sure why this is resurfacing now and why this is even a story, but apparently a month after Archie was born in May, 2019, Megan's name was changed on his birth certificate from her given name, which is Rachel Megan. Rachel is actually her given first name and Megan is her middle name to her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Sussex. Of course, the press had a field day about this. They jumped all over Megan's case as they tend to do because apparently that is a snub to Kate and I don't understand that. Do you get that? I don't, I don't see how that's a snub to Kate. Like they're saying that she was trying to, Megan was trying to one up Kate. I mean, I don't understand. I, yeah, I don't really know how that would be a snub either. Yeah, I don't get it, but it apparently triggered something in Megan because a spokesperson for her responded. They don't always talk, speak out against uh, the press and all, I mean, if they did that, they would never sleep because they're, the press is always all over her, but a spokesperson for Megan responded saying, quote, the change of name on public documents in 2019 was dictated by the palace as confirmed by documents from senior palace officials. This was not requested by Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, nor by the Duke of Sussex. To see this UK tabloid and their carnival of so-called experts choose to deceptively whip this into a calculated family snub and suggest that she would oddly want to be nameless on her child's birth certificate or any other legal document would be laughable were it not offensive. There's a lot going on in the world. Let's focus on that rather than creating clickbait. So that's kind of a sassy clapback. Um, but good for them for responding to this is I just don't get like you want to talk about reaching like this just feels like the press is really really reaching so why do you think the tabloids are so intent on continuing on with this Megan bashing narrative does it just not get kind of old like are, are we just not over this yeah I mean you know she's in the U.S. now so you would think that they would kind of shift their focus somewhere else, but you know, maybe it's just a product of this um, whole lockdown right now, and there's just maybe not a lot of content to focus on. Oh, no. you know, I mean, I really don't know. This is kind of a weird story. It doesn't even seem like a story at all to me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's that's the great question. I don't understand. First of all, like you said, why this is even news? Because first of all, this happened nearly two years ago and it's not like that's not her title <laughs> I don't I don't understand but anyway so the Daily Mail is also reporting this week that Megan and Archie sadly won't be in attendance for Prince Philip's 100th birthday celebrations and Trooping the Color in June as well as as I mentioned earlier the unveiling of a statue in memory of Diana at Kensington Palace in July so the Daily Mail said she won't be attending because of quote unquote, personal and practical reasons. 
Um, I'm not going to say what's on my mind, but I am <laughs> going to say that I have some speculation brewing inside this little head of mine. I'm going to keep it to myself for now. I'm just going to say that. So Jessica, would you like to weigh in on this at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking the same thing you are, and we've talked about this offline. Um, actually, several weeks ago, we were sort of speculating, mm -hmm. um, and I know everyone says you're not supposed to say it, but, um, you know, our listeners can can be curious. You can read between that here what we're not saying, and it's especially, I would probably say this but for the New York Times op-ed last year, I feel like this is, I mean, let's, I mean, obviously I'm saying, you know, everything without saying anything, but I'm not going to say anything, but I'm, I'm, I'm having some thoughts over here. Um, I think it would, the reason she would not be joining would be why you think someone may not be traveling overseas and <laughs> yeah, or, you know, um, and, and that's what I hope. I mean, so anyway, I'm just going to move on because, but you know, there, I, I said everything without saying anything. So there you go. So um, hopefully we'll be able to uh, talk more about that in the future. That's my hope. So my last news item on the Royal Rundown is we saw two shots of Kristen Stewart as Diana in an upcoming biopic about the Princess of Wales. I'm going to be honest with you I initially was not excited for Kristen Stewart to play Diana but I've got to tell you in these two shots she looks strikingly like her did you see these pictures I did yeah she did um at first I like at first glance I thought it was a photo from the crown um and then I looked a little bit closer and she did yeah it, it was a, a close resemblance do you plan to see the movie I don't know we've had a lot of stuff come out about Diana um a lot of you know between the in her own words documentary and the crown and everything else um I'm undecided what about you oh I'm definitely gonna see it but I I every morning I wake up and I read a lot of different magazines web pages and I read a really interesting article on Teen Vogue this morning and I can't remember who wrote it otherwise I would say who it was but it basically said when are we gonna stop rehashing this story again and again and again because we all know how it ends right I mean yeah and that's been, kind of where I'm at yeah I I mean there's there's not going to be a plot twist and she's and she lives you know I mean it's it, when are we going to stop doing this again and again and rehashing this but I mean of course I'm I'm one of those people of course I'm going to see it because I want to see how it tells the story maybe through a different lens I don't know but um I must say that she she looks just like her and and I thought the same about Emma Corrin so I don't know I guess I see it now so okay big royal rundown so we're going to move now into segment two which I'm calling history lesson so this Saturday February 6th is one of the saddest days of the year for Queen Elizabeth on that day in 1952, she and husband Philip were abroad on a tour in Kenya when she found out that her beloved father, King George VI, died unexpectedly at only 56. It was so unexpected that Elizabeth didn't have any black mourning clothes packed for her trip, which is why now all royals must pack mourning clothes on every trip, every time, 
so they are never put in such a position. So not only was Elizabeth blindsided by her father's death, who she, and I cannot emphasize this enough, absolutely adored, but of course it meant that she was now the monarch. At only 25, Elizabeth was hardly ready. She was married for just over four years and a young mom of two. Charles was three and Anne was only a year old. Elizabeth thought she had ample time to prepare herself for her life's work as queen. But just like that, she was the sovereign. So it is. It, this has always gotten to me how much of a strange, strange, I can't speak, juxtaposition this is that you begin your life's work only upon the death of a hopefully treasured parent. So with, of course, the exception of this year, Elizabeth stays in Sandringham where the family spends Christmas normally and where her father died every year until this day, February 6th. She does so to honor the memory of her father and just as he left Sandringham for the great beyond on this day in 1952, she too leaves Sandringham on February 6th and goes back to London, somberly reflecting all the while on the love she has for her father and the day she took on the role of a lifetime. So that is a perfect segue to segment three where we are traveling in our Royal Residences tour to none other than Sandringham. Yeah, so I'm excited about today's um, segment. As a reminder for our listeners, last week we started a new series on Royal Residences and architectural and interior design inspiration. So we started with our first segment on Balmoral Castle. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to our conversation on Balmoral. We got a lot of good feedback um, from that episode and we had a lot of listens on that one too. Um, so that was really exciting. And then today, as Rachel just said, we're gonna talk all about Sandringham House. So I'm really excited about this one because it's quite different from Balmoral and its design and decor elements. Um, last week we mentioned Balmoral has sort of this luxury hunting lodge feel to it. Um, you know, it really kind of felt like the perfect inspiration for um, a cozy den or, or a man cave. And that kind of sparked us wondering why Balmoral is the royal family's summer home rather than the place where they choose to celebrate Christmas. But Sandringham is actually where the family celebrates Christmas, as Rachel just talked about. Um, and the royals have long loved this home as it has so many personal family memories tied to it. That sort of nostalgia, I think, might be exactly why they choose to spend the Christmas holiday there. Um, it's been referred to by King George V, which is Queen Elizabeth's grandfather, as Dear old Sandringham, the place I love better than anywhere else in the world. And King George VI, Queen Elizabeth's father, once said, I have always been so happy here and I love the place. So Sandringham is unique from other royal residences in that it is privately owned by the family. It is located on Sandringham Estate in Norfolk, England, which is about 100 miles north of London. It's believed that some sort of structure where the current home stands existed as early as 1296. However, it would have undergone many changes and teardowns and reconstructions over the centuries. Um, and, and several years later, Queen Victoria's son, King Edward VII, actually purchased the home in 1862, 
when he was still the Prince of Wales. He demolished that home that he purchased and built a new one with the help of a local architect and some builders known as the Goggs brother. Construction on that new home was complete in 1871. And Rachel, I thought that was interesting because we were just talking about this with Balmoral last week, how they purchased that home and demolished and rebuilt it as well. Yeah, that is interesting. And I, I love this segment because I just learned so much that I never knew about these homes. I wonder why, I wonder why they do, I don't know, maybe it wasn't up to royal standards. Yeah, I think, um, I know with Balmoral, they said the home was really too small um, for what they needed. And I think that may have also been what sparked the demo of um, the original Sandringham that they bought as well. Um, but we know that more additions came later, including more guest rooms and a ballroom. And actually in the 1960s, the family considered demolishing it again, um, but they never did. Thank goodness, because it's so beautiful. And today the home is worth 48.5 million pounds, which is over 66 million US dollars. Wow. So the architectural style of the home is considered to be Jacobean. The Jacobean style followed the Elizabethan style as the second phase of Renaissance architecture in England. Um, the style is quite ornate and is characterized by flat roofs, columns, pilasters, which are like an ornamental column or a pillar. So it looks like a supporting column and it's part of a wall, but it's just decorative um, and, and for design purposes only. So it would be like, you've probably seen this before. It's like a column raised from the wall. It's visually appealing, but it's not actually functional or supporting anything. Mm -hmm. um, and the style also includes parapets, which are walls along the edge of a roof or a terrace or balcony. So I looked online at other photos of Jacobean style homes, and I noticed that they all tend to have a lot of really tall windows, tall chimneys, gables, arched doorways, and red brick exteriors, which are all also part of Sandringham House. While Balmoral reminded me of a more traditional castle that you might see in like a storybook or a Disney movie, Sandringham to me looks a lot more like an ornate building that you might see in other European countries like Russia or Italy. Um, Rachel, you've seen pictures of Sandringham before. What are your thoughts on the exterior of that home compared to Balmoral or what do you think about that? I just think they're both stunningly beautiful and just in different ways. And I, I'm, I tend to lean more towards Sandringham, but um, I don't know. I want, I want you to go on because I want to <laughs> learn along with our listeners more, but I mean, they're both, I mean, come on, they're, they're both stunningly beautiful homes. What do you think? Yeah. So I originally, and we'll see how my opinion changes as we go through these segments, but originally when I did Balmoral, I thought, you know, this one could be my favorite because it is so stunningly beautiful. But once I started really studying Sandringham and the style of the home, and I looked at pictures very closely, I started to really fall in love with its design. And, I, you know, it may take the spot as my new favorite. I don't know. It's just hard to compare them because yeah. they're so different. I, I think that Balmoral looks like the medieval castle that you would expect a royal family to live in. But Sandringham is just beautiful to me. So I, I'd lean towards Sandringham 
from an exterior yeah. practice alone. Yeah. Well, before we jump into the interiors of Sandringham, I will note that when lockdowns aren't in place, the public can actually visit and you can tour the ground floor of the home. So I know some of our listeners may have actually been fortunate enough to do that at some point. Um, you may be very familiar with the interiors of Sandringham. Um, just so you know, I have never visited in person. So my descriptions are based on photos that I've seen online and what I was able to read. Um, if you are listening and you have been to Sandringham and any details of the home stick out to you or there's anything that you want to share with us, please reach out to us and send us an email or you can DM us at our um, podcast royal Instagram account. So the interior of the home is decorated according to an Edwardian style. Um, sometimes the style gets meshed into a Victorian style and people think that they're one and the same. Um, but the Edwardian differs slightly from Victorian in that it's a lighter, fresher style. Um, it's got a lot less clutter and has a more uplifting feel than some of that heavier ornate design of the Victorian era. The style features things like oriental rugs as floor coverings rather than your traditional carpet. Um, light tone colors like pastels and floral wallpaper. Um, and the decor also features wingback chairs, wicker furniture, Tiffany lamps, and tassels. Um, much of that you'll see throughout Sandringham. And I actually read that the style of the Titanic was more Edwardian. So if you've seen that movie and mm -hmm. you see they kind of show um, that ship in the interiors, that that would be um, Edwardian style. Okay. Okay. The home has three notable rooms, um, the dining room, the drawing room, and the saloon. So we'll describe briefly each of those, and then we'll talk about um, inspiration from those rooms. I'll start with the dining room. There is a lot of trim work and like wood panels on the walls in this room. They're painted a light green color, and they're covered with large scale Spanish tapestries inside the panels. Um, so just to kind of help you visualize, it would be like a, um, like a thin um, panel trim work creating a big square and then the square is sort of filled in with a very large tapestry. Um, there are lights over the tapestries, um, shining on them and calling attention to them. And then there's a large mahogany dining table with a big fireplace and a huge mirror topping over the fireplace um, that goes almost to the ceiling. And then the room also has a long buffet along the wall um, with either, I'm sorry, with lamps on either end of the buffet. So next we'll look at the drawing room. This room features incredibly ornate trim work on the walls. It's painted like a creamy off-white color from what I could tell. Um, and it really reminds me of like a Parisian style. If you've seen like Parisian flats, yeah. um, how those walls are just really like a clean, pretty white with that ornate trim work. Um, it's very decorative. It's It goes all the way along the ceilings um, and covers the walls. And if you look at the room, you'll see like, the panels are really detailed, but then there's this garland or like a ribbon style trim along the top of the room. Um, and then there are decorative sconces with little shades um, on different areas of the walls and some of the doorways. And the windows are covered with these really dramatic window treatments. Um, there's like a 
sort of like a skirt across the top of the window and then big dramatic long shades or I'm sorry, curtains going down to the floor. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so the focal point of the room is a large fireplace. It's got an ornate mantle um, over the fireplace with a big mirror on top and sconces on either side. And then on one side of the fireplace, there's a set of French doors. And on the other side, there are panes of mirrored glass that I thought were another set of French doors. But when I looked closely, it looked like they may have just been decorative. So I'm not sure if it was some sort of cabinet or shelf um, to kind of give the room a symmetrical look um, or if they are actually doors. It was really kind of hard to tell from the photo. Um, but the floors are covered with this large kind of vintage oriental style rug um, with red tones. Um, and then one thing that I'll note on Sandringham is there are lots of green indoor plants throughout the home um, and lots of floral arrangements. And um, they're also in the dining room, or I'm sorry, the drawing room. So I have to say the drawing room might be my favorite room of the house. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, Rachel, but Definitely Google it. I think you would find it really pretty. I'm Googling it as you go and just stunning. So the last room we'll talk about is the saloon. Um, as the name suggests, it definitely has a more casual masculine feel than the other two rooms. It features like a stained wood wainscoting on the walls stained wood fluted columns, and it has these three large wooden arches that kind of go under a walkway that looks down into the saloon. So the walls are painted above the wainscoting like a cream color. There's this dental molding crowning the room, and up at the top of the room you can see crests lining the upper wall along the hallway. And then down in the lower part of the room there is a piano. Um, a much less grand fireplace than what you would see in the drawing room or the dining room. And then a relatively small sort of traditional gold chandelier hanging from the ceiling in front of the fireplace. Um, so this room also has oriental style rugs and it contains a lot of wood furniture. There's a wooden dining table and chairs, a wooden side table with these turned legs. I also noticed some blue and white china plates hanging on the wall. Um, a cream color sofa and a sort of bronze statue of a horse um, in the room. So this room has a much more relaxed feel compared to the others. You know, when I looked at it, I thought to myself, I would not be uncomfortable propping my feet up on the couch and reading a book with a glass of wine in this room. Um, it definitely didn't feel like you needed to be dressed up to hang out in there. Yes, I love it. A few more notable features about Sandringham that I'll mention. So the home actually features a billiard room. And Rachel, I don't know if you knew this, but it has a bowling alley. I did not know that. Yeah. So when I was um, looking at pictures, I actually saw a room. And I think they described it as an 1800s bowling alley. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means it had yeah, a bowling I can alley. See that. I can see that in my mind because I've been to the Biltmore Estate in Asheville. Have you ever been there before? A very long time ago when I was a young child and don't remember. I don't remember it. So they have a bowling alley there as well. And I can, I can see what it looks like. It's just the lanes are thin, they're wood. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's, it's much smaller than, you know, you might think of, of a bowling alley of today. 
Right. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if this bowling alley is something that was put into the house, but is not in use today, or if it's been updated and it's actually. Oh, I hope they use it all the time during Christmas. I hope they're so. down there while they're there for Christmas, just bowling strikes and spares all week. <laughs> Um, Sandringham was also one of the first homes in England to have gas lights, flushing toilets, and working showers in the 1870s. And let's see, so Sandringham Estate um, is on 20,000 acres of land. The grounds are a site for farming, forestry work, fruit cultivation, and conservation efforts. And um, I also learned that there is an apple juice pressing plant on the grounds of Sandringham. I don't know what in the world they do with that <laughs> apple juice. I have not heard this. So what do you think, Rachel? They're just drinking a lot of apple juice at Sandringham <laughs> Estate. By the way, I want to throw this in there really quickly. Um, Kate and William and the kids are staying down the road at Anmer Hall right now during lockdown. And the queen has allowed them to use a room or probably just not one room, but some rooms at Sandringham, which is just, again, down the road to work um, so that they can have some kind of separation between work and home. So they're spending a lot of time, a lot of the Zooms we've been seeing them on lately have been from Sandringham. Yes, good point. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, so yeah, and one other thing I'll note out, there are several other properties on the estate, including unfurnished homes that can be leased by the public. Um, so you wouldn't get this as like a weekend vacation home. This is more for someone who wants to live there long term. And, I'm okay um, with that. I'm okay with the long term solution. Yeah, one thing I couldn't find though was how expensive it was to lease. I imagine it would be pretty pricey. I'll tell you what, I don't remember. I think it was Anmer Hall, but there was a home on the grounds of Sandringham Estate. So not like not Sandringham, obviously, but you know, in the vicinity and the rent was only $800 a month, which at the time was less than what I was paying for my one bedroom apartment Really, in, in Hoover, Alabama. Yes. And I was like, what am I doing wrong with my life that I'm paying a thousand dollars for a one bedroom apartment in Hoover, Alabama, where I could be paying $800, $200 less for a country home where I could walk and see my friend, the queen. So, I mean, I'm okay with paying $800 to live like right next door to the Cambridges. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> I agree. So our listeners may have already gotten, you know, an abundance of ideas from what I just described on Sandringham as far as what you could do in your own home. But in case you need a little bit more, um, a little more inspiration, we can talk about how to incorporate these design elements into a realistic way in your own home. So first, we'll get started with experimenting with trim work. Probably there are ways to make it easier than, than it seems. Um, it's become really popular in recent years. So if you follow home design shows, you'll know what I'm talking about. But you can go check Pinterest um, for DIYs on how to do wainscoting or that Parisian style trim work with the decorative panels on your walls. Um, I recommend trying it out in a bedroom or a dining room or a living room. Those are really great spaces for that. And um, like I said, there's a range of ways you can do it. You can get really fancy and complicated, or you can go simple um, and 
You can probably even find a home improvement store to cut your panels for you. So you can just attach them to the wall. Um, but once you do that, the next step I recommend doing is um, painting your room in like a monochrome color scheme. So look at your walls, your crown molding, your trim work, your baseboards, paint all of those the same color. A lot of times in homes, especially in the US, it's not uncommon to see the walls one color and then the crown and the baseboards will be like a white color. Um, but if you're gonna make this space really pop, um, I say go all the same color. You can do like a gray tone. I mean, you can play it safe and do a warm white um, or you can go crazy and do like a navy or a charcoal and, and be really bold. But one way that you play with these kind of like monochromatic tones is you keep the paint color all the same for, for your trim and your baseboards and your walls, but you play with the sheens. So maybe you do like an eggshell on the wall and then a satin or a semi-gloss on your trim work or your baseboards um, just to make that pop a little bit. So that's, that's one thing you could do. Um, another thing is to consider hanging some sconces on the wall. Um, I recommend like a nice brushed gold or a brass tone, um, get something with a simple slim white shade and you can do, you can put sconces on either side of a mantle, um, or a mirror, or you can even do them on either side of your bed instead of traditional table lamps. Some sconces come hardwired and some come with a cord and a plug. If they're corded, you can go to a home improvement store and buy a little cord cover strip and you can paint it to blend in with your wall. Or you can forego all of the cords and the wires, cut it, attach it to the wall and put a little push light inside the sconce. Um, that's a really great option for renters um, and no one will ever know that it's not plugged in somewhere. Good tip. Going from there, I suggest looking at vintage or vintage style area rugs for your room. So you can find like the Oriental or Turkish style uh, rugs almost anywhere online now. Um, and they're really at all price ranges. If you get a true vintage rug, you'll probably spend a pretty penny. Um, but you can easily find affordable options that are made to look vintage um, online at, at very low price ranges. Um, of course, an area rug is great for a living room, a bedroom, or a dining room. I do recommend keeping your furniture more traditional and simple. If you've got the really ornate trim color, or I'm sorry, trim or a bright, bold color on the wall, um, look at like a cream colored upholstery um, or maybe something with some soft florals and then um, wooden accent tables. Um, as I mentioned before, you know, you can find accent tables with the turned legs, like what they have in Sandringham. So I've seen a lot of these online lately. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, a turned leg is like where they, they turn the legs in the machine when they're making them and they look sort of like um, wooden balls or bubbles kind of stacked together to make the leg. Do you know what I'm talking about, Rachel? Yeah, I can, uh, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm visualizing it in my mind right now. Okay. Yeah. I've seen coffee tables and accent tables like that. And it's just kind of an ornate look, but it's also pretty simple. So um, I definitely love those and recommend that. And then next, try decorating with some statement art. So look at maybe some gold framed landscape artwork or vintage style tap tapestries that you can hang on the walls. If you do the paneling, you can do them inside those panels. And then um, 
get like a like a gold picture light that you can hang over your art and kind of shine a light down on it so you can actually find battery operated picture lights so you don't have to deal with a cord um or you can forego that artwork and look at doing something like hanging pretty plates on the wall mm. i know um you know spode is well known for that blue and white plate look like what i saw in the saloon in sandringham yeah um or something like uh the blue and white the chinoiserie vase those are really pretty um so that's another option you could decorate you with got me really wanting to redecorate right now and my budget is very mad at you <laughs> <laughs> well there are some affordable options but um but yeah i know every time i do this i want to redecorate and it's like i know you know so finish off your room with some soft touches. Um, you know, indoor plants are always a fun, easy way to add a little bit of life to your room um, and warm it up a little bit. Um, I love fresh flowers. So find a pretty vase and change out your flowers every couple of weeks. I actually, Rachel, I don't know if you knew this, but um, we have a grocery store here in Birmingham and I went a couple weeks ago and they had this crazy deal on roses. I got a dozen roses for like $5. Really? And they are like two weeks old and they're still in my living room and they still look pretty. I've just been trimming the ends and putting flower food in there and they've actually held up for a long time. So for the one man that is listening to our podcast that is in Birmingham, <laughs> Valentine's Day is in a couple of weeks. So there's a pro tip from Jessica. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Other finishing touches that you could put in your room would be like um, a large mirror or some family photos or maybe some small ornamental items like a like an antique figurine or a statue or something. Um, and then add some pillows and some curtains. And if you do the curtains, go with something you can hang really high above your window. Um, and that you can let them hang floor length, like what kind of what they've got in Sandringham. And then you don't have to go quite as like dramatic as what they've got, but, um, but the floor length curtains are always really nice. Um, one thing I do want to note about the Edwardian style, and I mentioned it earlier, um, but it is not about clutter. So keep the extra stuff to a minimum. If you do like a statue or a figurine, don't go crazy with those. I think one or two is enough to kind of warm up this space and keep it from looking cold, um, you know, but not cluttered. Um, that, that's the big point there. So I think that wraps up our segment on Sandringham. I hope that that was inspiring for you guys. I think that style is probably more along the lines of my decorative style, definitely more so than Balmoral. Um, but we'll see, we'll see in the coming weeks if I like anything else a little bit more. But what do you think, Rachel? Do you have like a favorite room in Sandringham or do you have a favorite decorative style that you like? So I encourage all of our listeners to Google the rooms that Jessica mentioned because they, it, you can hear about this all day long, but when you see it, it just ties it all together. The dining room is stunning and without question, Sandringham's aesthetic much more matches mine than what I feel is the masculine aesthetic of Balmoral. So yeah. I can see why so many people love this place and why the queen spends about six to seven weeks of the year in normal circumstances here it's it's truly beautiful 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would say I think my least favorite room of the three, it's probably the saloon, just because I tend to be more on the feminine, yeah, um, more decorative side. Um, but the drawing room, I mean, even if you go look online, there are more current photos of it, but there are also photos from I mean, decades ago. And the really old photos were quite stunning too. Listeners, go check it out. It's stunning. I am obsessed with this series. I can't wait to see where you take us next week. I don't know, listeners. So I'm not just saying that, like I really can't wait <laughs> because I don't, I don't know where we're going. Um, and I didn't even know that we were going to Sandringham this week. So it was just perfect that we just so happened to be talking about it right before we segued perfectly in so thank you so much for tuning into episode 10 i can't believe that we are on episode 10 of podcast royal as always follow us on instagram at podcast royal email us at hello podcast royal at gmail.com and please subscribe rate and review our podcast we see you out there on apple Podcasts rating us right now we have a five-star rating thank you so much and please keep those coming in and we will see you lovely people next week bye bye